Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Good Music Podcast. I'm Lucas. And I'm Justin. Thank you so much for tuning in. If this is your first time listening to us, thank you and welcome. If you like what you hear, then please hit the subscribe button, leave us a review and rating on whatever platform you are listening on. Also, if you want to donate to this channel, there's a link in the description of the episode that will take you to the corresponding page. A small monthly donation equal to a convenience store snack will help us to up our production value as well as allow us to do some new spinoffs on the channel. And don't forget to check out our Facebook page where we interact with all of you and talk about other things going on in the music world. Now that that's out of the way, let's get into the real stuff. As always, there's something happening in the music world and this week, of course, is no exception. Lucas, what? Is happening. This has been the week of reunions. We had two huge reunions from late 90s slash um, 2000s bands. Uh, the first one that came was the announcement that My Chemical Romance was getting back together. Wow. Yes. Yeah, so that was the one that like broke the internet. Like people were just freaking out. <laughs> like I saw this meme of as so- it was like this picture of a girl putting makeup on and said, as soon as I heard my chemical romance is getting back together. And just like she's put on like her black lipstick and black oh eyeliner. Oh my and goodness. My chemical romance. Yes. They were – what a huge artist they were in the 2000s. We'll do an episode on them at yeah, some point. Yeah, for sure. They're a band that I actually not until recently have actually really started to enjoy because – me, when I was growing up, I was never a follower of the fads or the the trends in music. I kind of always just did my own thing, and I kind of really enjoyed not liking what everyone else liked. So when everyone around me in high school was really big into My Chemical Romance, I was kind of like, I don't want to listen to them. They're they're posers. They're fake. They're, <laughs> <laughs> they're not true rock and roll. Oh, no. And now that I've gone back and revisited them... Uh, I'm actually like specifically the Black Parade album. I'm yes. like, oh, this is a really great record. It's a pretty good record, man. Not gonna lie. Uh, there's a lot of Pink Floyd and Queen yes, influence in it. Most definitely. So it's it's one that um, whenever we start researching to do an episode on them, I think I'm gonna really enjoy all of the stuff that I find. So who's the second band that's getting reunited? So a day later. Rage Against the Machine announces that they're getting back together. Oh, man. And this is the one that got me freaked out because I love Rage. They are um, really up there in my favorite bands Mm. just because I just love the aggressiveness and I love the grooves that they come up with. And they have been separated for a very long time. They had a very short career. They only released three official albums and then like one covers album. And that's it. And I want to say they did like a reunion tour like in the mid to late 2000s, like in 05 or 08 or something like that. But it was just like like a reunion tour and that was it. And they haven't done anything since then. And there's some interesting shows that they're doing. Yeah, so this is what really caught my attention. Um, there was five shows announced, so it's not like this like full-fledged tour. Two of those dates are headlining Coachella, which, you know, that's pretty big in of itself. Of course. But then the three other ones are Phoenix, which is not that weird, but then Las Cruces, New Mexico, and El Paso, Texas. Wow. And to me, I was just like, why those three? Why aren't you doing it in California? Yeah. 
or, you know, Dallas or, you know, somewhere on the East Coast where like all of these big bands do their tours. Like specifically Las Cruces was the one that really puzzled me. And so I was looking a little deeper into the article and Tom Morello posted the same picture that Rage Against the Machine's official Instagram page posted where it's like all of these revolutionaries on top of this statue and like the city's on fire and all that. And he says, Chile is not messing around. USA next? Question mark. <laughs> so what you're saying is this is a political statement? Everything with Rage Against the Machine is a political statement. Of course. I mean that just goes without saying. It's the, it's the name of the band. Yeah. So, you know, there's a very specific purpose that they're reuniting for. And I'm going to be really curious to see what that is as we get more details because we still don't even have an official announcement from the band. Rather, um, it's being confirmed with sources that are tied to the band. Like it is official, but we just haven't heard it from the band themselves. Right. And when we do, I think it's going to be really interesting because, I mean – Right now, with the political climate that we have, this is kind of the perfect time for Rage Against the Machine to return because they're going to be angrier than ever, and that's when they're at their best. Whether you agree with their political statements or not, it's still – you get the best rage when they're raging and they have something that they're truly passionate about. And I think that they're going to do something very intentional with this reunion. They're not just going to go on a stadium tour around the world or around the country. They're going to like pick very specific – I noticed that specifically the Las Cruces and El Paso one, they're right by the U.S.-Mexico border. So I have a feeling there's going to be some kind of um, wall protests and that they're going to try and make this big statement. All right, let's get into our podcast this week. As always, Lucas, you always have some very interesting statistics for our listeners. Fire yes, away. Yes, we are past 6,500 total listens. Wow. Another huge achievement, and we are all very grateful to you for making this yes, possible. Yes, thank you guys. I truly believe that this podcast would remain obscure. No one would be interested in what I have to say. <laughs> and I never thought that if we would grow, that we would grow to this size so quickly. So truly, thank you everyone that's listening, everyone that's somehow finding us, and uh, everyone around the world. So very, very, very grateful that we are already at this point. Pink Floyd and Metallica episodes have both passed the 1,000 listen mark, and they are constantly leapfrogging back and forth wow. on which one has more listens than the other. So every, literally every time I look at the numbers, one of them is taking the lead again. Hmm. And of course, Coldplay is getting fairly close to that 2,000 mark. And so we'll, uh, we'll see whenever it crosses that. And then Van Halen got 100 listens on its first week. Let's go. Further showing that hard rock and metal are popular favorites on this platform, which makes me very happy. Of course, as they are for us. All right. This week, though, we have a drastic change for the first time in our podcast history because we are talking about an entirely different genre. Yes, we are shifting gears and moving away from rock and metal into the realm of soul, funk, and R&B. And when you talk about that, Lucas, the main player in this genre, you have to talk about this guy. Yes, we're talking about Stevie Wonder. Stevie Wonder. One of the greatest musicians and songwriters of the last 100 years. I mean, a literal magician who, by the way, 
is blind, everybody. A lot of people know he's blind but don't really know about his music that much. And what do people need to know? So Stevie is mostly known as a singer and keyboard player, as that is what he mostly does when performing live. But he can play just about every instrument. And he does. Yes. Several albums of his contain songs that he is the only person. And it's not just like these songs where it's him sitting by himself at a piano, but drums and bass and guitars and all of these different keyboard layered sounds, all the background vocals, stuff that you would think that female vocals are featured on is actually him. Now, I was telling you earlier, Lucas, that my only interaction with Stevie Wonder was later on, like, 90s, early 2000s, because he did some collabs with, you know, with boy bands and some other stuff like that. Yeah, that uh, that famous Mulan song. Yeah, with 98 Degrees. <laughs> yeah. Come on. That was a great song. Yeah, I have to admit, I that song, man, takes me. So that would have been the first time I'd ever heard of Stevie Wonder. But that's not the whole story. Oh, no. Stevie Wonder is actually not his real name. He was born as Steveland Hardaway Morris. Steveland? Steveland. Wow. Which I've never heard that name before. Never. He was born on May 13th, 1950. He was born six weeks premature, which is what caused him to lose his sight shortly wow. after being born. Although not technically born blind, it didn't take long for that to set in. But then... At age 11. Yes, he got his first record deal with Motown. Everyone, let's pause for a second. (laughs) This kid is 11 years old, and he gets his first record deal with Motown. Mm -hmm. This was at the beginning of Motown's career, so they hadn't really developed the clientele yet, although they were on the cusp of... You know, breaking in artists like um, Marvin Gaye and the Supremes and Jackson 5. But Stevie Wonder came in at 11 years old, and they were calling him Little Stevie Wonder. But it gets better. So he got his first number one single by the time he was 12. Oh, my goodness. And it was actually a live recording called Fingertips. Okay, hang on. You said a live recording. I mean, that as a number one single is... Almost unheard of. Yeah, the the 60s was a strange time. And a lot of the big attention that Stevie Wonder was getting was they were advertising him as a little Ray Charles, who was another very famous soul piano singer and player who was also blind. Of course. So his second album was just entirely of Ray Charles covers. And so they were kind of milking that connection as much as they could. So surely then this run of success continues. Yes. His music grew up alongside him. His songs got better and better as he got older. Before even reaching his 20s, he had already recorded classics like Uptight, Everything's Alright, For Once in My Life, My Sherry Amore, and Sign Seal Delivered. I mean, who else can say that they've done this? Yes. I mean, there's so many musicians that could have wished that in their entire career that they could have done what Stevie Wonder did before he was 20 years old. I mean, seriously, like even some of like the top people in our age today, Bruno, Justin, I mean, can't even compare to that level of success that Stevie Wonder has had before turning 20. Yes. And if you think of child stars, like famously like child actors, they may have like this amazing career as they're growing up and then they hit adulthood and they just crumble. They try and take the artistic routes and it just doesn't work. Right. And, you know, the fame gets to them, drugs and all that. 
Not Stevie. Yeah, what happens then? So Stevie could have stayed in the Motown hit factory, but by the time he was 21, he had his ambitions set on making serious contributions to the popular music world. He was very much inspired by Marvin Gaye's What's Going On album, which was um, kind of the first Motown album to be socially conscious and touch on a lot of mature issues. So Stevie Wonder made a new deal with Motown, where he secured complete creative control as well as an immense advance on his salary. Like, it was one of the most lucrative deals in the music business up to that time. And he's 21. Yes. What followed was the album Music of My Mind, which is a transitional album. When you look at Stevie Wonder albums before this this deal he made with Motown, pretty much it's like the first track is the big single. Right. And then after that is kind of a lot of filler and covers. It's kind of like the album is just an excuse to promote the big single. But then with this case... In this case, we actually have our first cohesive record where he's not concentrating as much on singles and um, just having songs that just take you from start to finish, but rather everything flows. You'll hear in all the later Stevie Wonder records that he actually barely has gaps in between the songs, except for when the side is finished. Mm. But rather, it's just like the song is still pretty audible in the mix fading out when the next one just starts. Wow. And so he really wanted to transition into making these very serious artistic statements. And Music of My Mind wasn't a big seller. It didn't have any big number one singles on it. But when you look back on it, it definitely set the stage for what would then start his classic period. And what involves that? So later that year, so again, we look at a time when the album tour cycle only lasted about six months. Yeah. And the next album would pretty much be written on the road. So 1972, uh, Music of My Mind came out at the beginning of that year, and then Talking Book came out at the end of that year. And this gives Stevie... Two number one hits. Yes. Superstition and You Are the Sunshine of My Life. Wow. Two great songs. Yes. And so Talking Book started a creative and a commercial run that has only been equaled by a few artists in recent memory. Hmm. Like just the the winning streak that he was on was just unreal. This was the true beginning of Stevie writing complete cohesive albums that had hardly any filler in them. As well as this album was the beginning of him playing almost every instrument on just about every song. That's incredible. Yeah. So this gave him a lot of creative control to be able to guide the songs exactly the way that he wanted them to be. He didn't have to try to explain to anyone, no, I want you to play it like this. Trying to have someone recreate what he's hearing in his mind. Right. So this album was a huge success. And then after that comes Inner Visions. Yes. This was the full maturity of his music. This is where he takes an unflinching look at all of the issues that were going on at the time. Racial injustices, politics, drug use, and the meaning of life are all complemented by an incredible diversity of musical influences. But then almost all of this comes to an end. Yes. Just three days after the album's release, Stevie was in a near-fatal car crash, which left him in a coma for four days. Oh, my goodness. Thankfully, he recovered quickly, and the whole experience provided the inspiration for what would be the next album, which was fulfilling this as first finale. In that album, he wrote about death, heaven, and God. Wow. Of course, another hit record. Inner Visions had won him three Grammys. He got another two for fulfilling this, and he had two consecutive 
Grammy of the Year awards. But then he decided to take 1975 off, um, something that Paul Simon was very thankful of whenever he won Album of the Year. (laughs) And in his acceptance speech, he said, I would like to thank Stevie Wonder for not making an album this year. (laughs) But he did return the following year with his masterpiece. Of course. The double album Songs in the Key of Life. A double album. Yes. So back in the day when everything was made on vinyl, you had two sides of music. Each side could hold... About 20 to 25 minutes. So a double album is two discs, four sides total. And this double album is unique because it also came packaged with an EP because he had more songs that he couldn't even fit on the double album. Oh, goodness. So there was like a small little bonus disc that had like three or four extra songs on it. He wasn't just taking it easy in 1975. He was working and came back with what everyone pretty wildly considers as the pinnacle of his career. And beyond that, like, why is that particular album so important? So this album is a loose concept record that tackles all the components of life, hence songs in the key of life. He talks about religion, love, youth, parenthood, and even music itself. So he's covering all the things that we as humans experience in life. And Mm -hmm. so I think that that really resonated with a lot of people. And plus, the album was just stuffed with classic song after classic song. So ultimately, what do people, if they've never heard of Stevie Wonder, what do they need to know, just like bullet point wise? Stevie took funk and soul music into the 70s and showed something new and improved from what Motown was doing in the 60s. I love to listen to 60s Motown. There's just such a great um, feel to it, and it's just really great pop songwriting. But you could tell by the time that we stepped into the 70s that something different needed to happen. And Marvin Gaye really kind of led that, although his popularity started to go down once we got into the 70s. But Stevie Wonder really came in and showed just a brand new take on the Motown formula. And, I mean, the guy's a musical prodigy. Yeah. His ability to combine terrific pop songwriting and jazz chords and funky grooves, it just made for an unstoppable formula for success. And, of course, I mean, the guy has an incredible voice. Yes, one of the best voices in pop music. He had so much range and versatility that he could just sing whatever style he wanted to. The fact that he accomplished all this without his sight is truly incredible as most musicians couldn't do what he did with their eyes open. He showed the world that if you have the drive, nothing can stop you. No disability can prevent you from being the best at what you do. Well, there you have it, everybody. That is Stevie Wonder in a nutshell. But when we get back, we are going to talk about the six songs that we've picked to represent Stevie Wonder. Stay tuned. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Good Music Podcast. We are talking about the American icon, 
Stevie Wonder. Yes. So what we're doing now is we're going to be discussing six songs that I've picked out to represent Stevie Wonder. If this is the first episode that you're listening with us, what this section is and the reason why I pick songs is I want to present a set like if, say, someone has never heard Stevie Wonder's music. I want to provide songs that not only give you a great first impression of who he is as an artist and hook you in to want to listen to more, but also at the same time create a set where there is a cohesive flow from start to finish. I'm very much about crafting a musical experience that takes you on an emotional journey to where by the end you feel satisfied or at least had had some emotional impact. So I'm not necessarily picking the six best Stevie Wonder songs or my six favorite Stevie Wonder songs. Rather, I'm picking the six songs that introduce you to the artist as well as finding the six songs that best fit together in a flow. So if you want to listen to these songs, in the description of the episode is instructions to find my Spotify playlist. Listen to the songs, especially if you've never heard them before. Even if you have heard all of these songs before, please go check out the playlist. It'll hopefully present these songs to you in a new way and maybe you'll have a new experience with them. That being said, let's get into our first song and that is superstition. This was the easiest one to pick starting out. Of course. Just starting off with that amazing drum beat. Just it it just was the right thing to do. See for me that clav line is so catchy. Oh yeah. Again, Stevie Wonder plays everything on here except for the horns. Of course. So that drum beat starting out That's Stevie. And a little something to say about his drumming. The way that I first figured out that Stevie Wonder drummed on his albums was I was listening to a YouTube instructional video from a metal drummer that I enjoy. And the interviewer asked him, so who is your favorite non-metal drummer to listen to and to play along with? And he said, Stevie Wonder. And I remember being really confused and just going, okay, is there another Stevie Wonder that I don't know about? (laughs) And he started describing, and I was just like, no, he's he's talking about Stevie Wonder. I immediately put on some of his songs and was just like, oh my gosh, he's also playing the drums on this. And just my respect went way, way up. Of course, great vocal work from Stevie in the song. Yes. And you can just tell that he had really grown into his voice at this point. Yeah. I imagine going through your adolescence as a pop singer You have those awkward moments where you're kind of figuring out where your voice sits. By the time Talking Book, he knew exactly how to use his voice to its fullest extent. But again, really, I feel like this song is, I mean, really more about just his brilliant instrumental mind because this song has so much energy and so much complexity almost. Mm -hmm. The whole meat of the song is that clav. Yeah. And it's just such a brilliant, brilliant clav line it's a song that he wrote with another artist called jeff beck and jeff beck we'll talk about at some point because he's one of the greatest guitar players of all time so hang on when you say jeff beck you mean beck no different beck different beck gotcha jeff beck has been around since the early 60s okay it's not the same beck that got big in the 90s Got it. He is mostly known as kind of like an avant-garde jazz guitar player. And he was just hanging out with Stevie Wonder and they were jamming together. And that's when Stevie came up with that clav line. Of course. And the original deal was that Jeff Beck was going to release the song first. Uh, Stevie Wonder kind of gave it to him. And it took him too long to get the song recorded and released. And so Stevie was just like, okay, then I'll just release my version first. (laughs) 
And that probably ended up being the right move. Yeah. Well, that takes us into our second song, Higher Ground. Higher Ground is a really fun, funky song. I feel like people always are concentrating on Stevie Wonder's pop songwriting, but he was really funky, and he was really unconventional in a lot of the ways that he went about it. I mean, that bass line, though. Yeah. (laughs) Which, again, that's Stevie playing the bass. And not only the bass, a synth bass. Yes, and just a lot of great stuff going on. I remember seeing a video about cover songs that were better than the original, and the Red Hot Chili Peppers very famously did a cover of this song in the late 80s. Of course. And they were saying how the Red Hot Chili Peppers version is better than the Stevie Wonder version. Hmm. And I was outraged whenever I saw this. While, yes, the Red Hot Chili Peppers version of this song is good, and the bass work particularly in that version is really solid. I mean, it's fleas. Yeah. Stevie Wonders just has such a groove to it that you can't say that the Red Hot Chili Peppers version was better because they didn't write that song. Stevie created this whole song, and I love the lyricism in this song as well. Yeah, what is the song talking about specifically? So pretty much he's talking about almost kind of like talking about reincarnation a bit and about how he is trying to do better in each life and that the things around him are never going to change, that soldiers are going to keep on marching, the preachers are going to keep on preaching. You kind of like you can't control what the rest of the world does. Instead, you can control what you can do. You can be the better person and you can work on yourself. And each time that you are living, try and be better and try and get to the higher ground each time. Again, this is off of the Inner Visions album where he really was exploring a lot of these questions. And really, that's what a lot of Inner Visions is, is asking questions. He's not really providing a lot of answers, but he's just he's kind of just saying, I'm making observations about the world I see. I'm not saying what's right or what's wrong. Instead, let's talk about what we can do as people. We can't control what everyone else does. Instead, let's just control what we can do, and hopefully that'll impact what is around us. And then we get into this really fun song. Yeah. Boogie on Reggae Woman. So before I started doing the research for this episode, I actually had not heard this song. And once I heard it, I immediately thought to myself, I've got to figure out a way to get this onto the song list. Now, the funny thing is this song is neither reggae or boogie. <laughs> I mean, it's got a little bit of boogie in it, but definitely not reggae. The thing that originally struck me about this song was I loved the chord progression. Yeah. And I even kind of took a little bit of time to try and figure out what the chord progression was. And the reason why it sounds so interesting is because it has a major two in it. Mm. And that's kind of what gives it that extra little flavor. And, I mean, for me, the first thing that I noticed is just synth bass for days. Yes. That's what then was the next thing that caught my attention. And once I noticed it, I was just, like, enamored by it. Just some of the runs he does on it is just incredible. I also love how he sings Boogie on Reggae Woman with that growl, like, in his voice every single time. I think it's so good. It's definitely just one of the most fun songs he ever made. And then there's some really great piano work just all the way through. Mm Mm-hmm. And then there's a very important aspect of Stevie Wonder's list of gifts that we haven't even talked about yet. And that's his incredible harmonica skills. The legendary Stevie Wonder harmonica. Yeah, so that's actually where he got his start. Whenever he was Lil Stevie Wonder, his first album actually did not have vocals in it. 
It was him doing harmonica renditions of, like, old standards. I mean, who knew that the harmonica could be so cool? Yeah. I mean, I would say that he's probably, like, the most iconic harmonica player of all time. Like, I'll hear songs that I didn't even know he was in, and I'll hear the harmonica start to play, and I'll go, that's Stevie Wonder. (laughs) And then I'll look it up, and sure enough, there he is. This song sounds so busy, and you'd think it would be really chaotic, just with all the things that are happening in it. But... It just works. Like, everything just kind of flows together really nicely. Mm-hmm. And just again, there is no other musicians on this song except for Stevie Wonder. That's he played every single thing you hear man, and played just masterfully. I think the one thing that I don't really like about this song is, like, right at the tail end, I feel like you can hear, like, Stevie just starting to get after it on the piano and the harmonica just getting really aggressive, and then they start to fade it out. And I'm just like, no, that's that's going to be the best part. You know, in the CD era, he could have let that go for as long as he wanted to. Yeah. But in the vinyl era, it's just you kind of have to cut things at unfortunate times in order to fit everything that you want on there. Well, that takes us into our next song, I Wish. Yes. So for a long time, this was my favorite Stevie Wonder song. I remember playing this in high school band. I mean, this song is a bop. Oh, yeah. And of course, you know, a lot of people my age probably know this more as the Wild Wild West song. Yes. Yes. Once I realized that I Wish was the root of that song, I was just like, oh, because I remember I was probably like seven or eight years old when that movie came out. And I remember just hearing it on the radio all the yeah. time. It's kind of funny. This song kind of has a similar feel to Superstition a little bit. Mm-hmm. It's almost kind of like a part two yeah. musically. In fact, whenever I was in high school band, we would usually do a mashup of the two songs. They're in the same key. They've got just about the same tempo. They've got that just kind of that bouncing, funky feel to it. But in my opinion, I think that I Wish is a bit more of a refined and polished song just because there's so many more details that just make the song so great. Yeah, I love this chorus. This chorus just really jazzes me up. Yeah, that's one of the best choruses he ever wrote. And uh, I love the vocal breakdown after oh the first goodness. chorus. Yes. I mean, he just goes up there and gets it. Mm-hmm. Like, he just gets so aggressive with that. I love that. Yeah. And there's some really great transition work towards the end of the song during the instrumental that, mm-hmm. I mean, just blows my mind. Yeah. A lot of the instruments are really doing some cool runs and licks kind of as the horns are taking the song out that you hear. And so this sets us up for our next song, Visions. Yeah, so we've had a pretty driving feel throughout all the songs up to this point, and I wanted to take at least one moment and kind of really slow things down. Which I think a lot of people forget, like Stevie did some incredible ballads. Yes, and he's known kind of in his later period for writing a lot of sappy ballads. Yeah. Kind of, you know, stuff like, I just called to say I love you. But in this classic period, the ballads he was writing were so sophisticated and so complex. Like, I looked up the chord progression for Visions, and I can't even understand it. I don't even know how to play the stuff that he's playing. I don't even know how to form those chords, fingering-wise. And his voice just shines here. Yes, it does. I love the acoustic guitar work throughout this song. The electric piano and that very subtle electric guitar playing. And then just the lyrics in the song are are so good. I know. I almost kind of feel like 
I'm in like this dreamy like state. Like I'm almost kind of in awe of like what's happening in this well, song. Like you're seeing a vision. Yep. It's always a great thing when you realize that musicians are able to really create sonically what the lyrics are telling you. And a lot of times I feel like it goes unnoticed when it's not like beating you over the head with it. Right. But I love those moments whenever you realize and you go, oh, man, okay, I now understand why they're making these artistic decisions. And then last but not least, we have Living for the City. So this song actually comes after Visions on the Inner Visions album. Man, what and a great way to end that. Yes. And so this is now my favorite Stevie Wonder song. Mm. This song just bops. I love how like unassuming it starts. Mm -hmm. It's almost kind of like a a tease before it gets really going. And he does not ease in vocally. He's just immediately, he has got the rasp in his voice and he is singing like at full power. Yeah. And when he sings that living just enough, just enough for the city, that's such a great vocal line. His voice sounds so good on it. And again, another song where he is everything on that track. I really love that whole vocal ad lib that he does right before he gets back into that groove section. Uh Uh-huh. I'm just like, ugh, come on, Stevie. Yeah. And then uh, that kind of vocal refrain, the da-da-da-da. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I looked up the chords for that, too, and that's just, I don't understand how that chord progression works. That's just such a great transition piece. Yeah, like, those are the things that modern pop songwriters just don't have the ability to make. Mm -hmm. Like, you can't make songs like that when you're just sticking with the four pop chords. You don't get to make songs that are at this level of art that Stevie Wonder was making. And it's why his music has just continued to resonate all of these years. And then we have this very interesting breakdown with this narrative. Yeah. Had the song cut off right before that, it could have just, you know, been another pop single for him, even though it does have a lot of really interesting stuff. But once we get to this point that we show just how ambitious he was getting at this point, where he was really wanting to craft something that was bigger than anything that he had done before. We're getting actors to play kind of this role, this little script that he had made. And when he comes back and his voice is completely changed. Yeah. Like he's just someone that has been through, the character had been through, which is being thrown in prison and having to live this hard life and, you know, getting out on the other side and being worse off than what he was because now... Definitely no one will hire him because he's been in jail. I can't believe that this whole ending vocal section is still Stevie. Yeah. In other songs, this has been known as his Louis Armstrong voice. Mm. And so there are other songs where he he uses that tone of voice. Well, this whole last section is just such a great way to end this set because, I mean, it really is a jam at this point. (laughs) Yeah. And when you've got that drawn out ending where they're repeating that vocal refrain it's just epic yeah I love and it. it's very grand and it's just like it's kind of like if you were to put it anywhere else in the list you're kind of just like well where do you go after exactly. this it's just it's it's such a great grand finale well there you have it everybody those are our six songs for the legendary stevie wonder we're gonna take a quick break before we get back we're gonna talk about our bonus song stay tuned Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Good Music Podcast. We've been talking about Stevie Wonder in this episode. We just finished talking about the six songs that we chose for this set, which, just to recap, are... Superstition, Higher Ground, Boogie on Reggae Woman, I Wish, Visions, and Living for the City. 
So now it's time to talk about our bonus song. Now, what is the bonus song for those who have never listened to this before? So the bonus song is a song from an artist that either is not as famous or was more like a one-hit wonder or an artist that perhaps I would not spend an entire episode on, but something that still has a connection to the main artist, whatever that connection may be. And so this is my chance to be able to highlight, you know, either more obscure songs or, again, artists that maybe only had a couple of big hits. And so the bonus song that I picked for the Stevie Wonder episode is uh, The Rubber Band Man by The Spinners. What's the connection here? So Stevie Wonder wrote a big hit for them called It's a Shame in 1970 and kind of helped revive their career. They were big in the early 60s and were not doing well by the end of the 60s. And so Stevie Wonder kind of lent them this song and they were kind of able to get back up into the big time again. And later in that career is when they wrote Rubber Band Man. And you can tell that Stevie's influence is all over this song. Absolutely. I really kind of love how this song has that kind of big band feel Mm -hmm. across it. And, I mean, the whole vocal ad-lib section, which, I mean, has Stevie's stamp all over it is in the breakdown, is awesome. Yeah. It definitely has a lot of I Wish similarities to it. Yes. And I think one of the things that stuck out to me about this song is the bass section of the vocals Yeah, that's very common with a lot of these vocal ensemble Motown groups is they always had really great bass vocalists, and they were usually featured very prominently. And then the last section of this song is just so fun. Yeah, it just turns into a big old party. I had heard this song in passing a couple times before, but it was when it was featured on Infinity War that I kind of like realized, oh, wow, this is a really thumping song. When the Guardians of the Galaxy are... Of are course. Flying through, and they've got the awesomeness mix playing, and the song is going on. It was just that's kind of when I actually, for the first time, noticed the song and went, Oh, this, this is a great song. Well, there you have it. That is our bonus song for this week The Rubber Band Man. So tell me, what are your final thoughts on Stevie Wonder? Well, first off, the guy's a freaking genius. Mm-hmm. The thing that I've always loved about Stevie is that I've always felt like his sound has always felt so vibrant like so full of life there's just so much energy in a lot of his music even in the ballads that he's done and i think the biggest thing like that i love about it is that there's this kind of swagger to it all the dude just knows what he's doing mhm and it's kind of hard to fault him on this and like i'm sure he's been kind of criticized about this too but like there's just this joyous positivity in his music mhm even when he's singing about like Really serious stuff. Yeah, he never sounds like he's weighed down by it. It's kind of almost like he's removed from it in a way. Right. And the guy was so versatile. I mean, he had no one style. He really kind of had like his own personal form of expression, which I love and am so jealous for because it's just like he really was like himself through and through. Yeah. I mean, he's just a a one-of-a-kind, and that run in the 70s is just one of the best best runs in music history. I mean, the dude, like, really helped change R&B and funk in the 70s, like, pulling them into the 70s just with synths, which Mm -hmm. I love. And really bringing a lot of experimentation into soul music. Absolutely. I mean, he had, like, so many complex arrangements in all of his music. It's incredible. Mm-hmm. And of course, the guy just, his story is so amazing. Yeah. I mean, it's just, it's literally an incredible success story. What he was able to do with the limitations that he had 
Yeah. So for me, I mean, all those things said, for me at least, that's why I love Stevie Wonder. Oh, yeah. I can't see how you can't. Well, that does it for this episode. Again, thank you so much for listening, and please hit the subscribe button. We have a new episode that comes out every Monday morning at 9 Central, so be sure to check out our next episode that is coming, which is also going to feature one of the most prominent artists of the 70s, but in a very, very different way. So please tune in next week for that, and please leave us a review, follow our Spotify page, as well as we have a Facebook page where we have a lot of discussion on a lot of these topics. So be sure to check us out there. And that does it for this episode. I'm Lucas. And I'm Justin. Keep on listening to good music.